blessed to have Sean Smith with us. Um, let me just introduce him like this. If you were with us at the beginning of this year, you know, um, we really felt like we were supposed to do a teaching on the Holy Spirit. And so if you were with us, we did a series called The Helper. We, um, we bought all you guys' books by Robert Morris called The God I've, I Never Knew. And if you were here for any of those weeks and you heard any kind of amazing stories that I read to you and you were like, do what? All of those were from Sean Smith. That's a good way to introduce you, isn't it? I mean, like out of his books and hearing him speak, um, just God does amazing things through him. And I, I was telling somebody, if you're all from Albemarle, right? So you're going to get what I'm getting ready to say. We were talking this morning. The first time we ever heard Sean speak was in, in Chicago at Jesus Culture Awakening. And so imagine this huge arena and he's on a platform, and we were like somewhere back where you look like ants, you know, and we're watching him and listening to him, and he's ministering. And it's like, it was just amazing. It was an amazing conference. And to think that now, like, he's not going to be up there, now he's like here, it just blows my mind. If you're from Albemarle, you ever go, I, I'm just sitting here all morning going, I can't believe he's here. And I mean, who comes to Albemarle? The people that come to Albemarle are the people that God sent to give you a word. Right? And so this morning is going to be that kind of a morning. I'm excited. So you guys got to give a big gathering welcome, welcome to Sean as he comes. Come on, let's make him welcome. Bless you, bro. Sure appreciate you, man. Awesome. How you guys doing? Hey, man, I am telling you what, I love the gathering. I love your vibe. I love your love for Jesus. Uh, driving down the way, I'm from Northern California. So I was born and raised in Oakland. And Oakland, San Francisco, Twin City, separated by the bridge. And uh, we flew in uh, yesterday uh, evening. And uh, I've gone a lot to Concord and been in Charlotte and done some ministry, uh, but never been out this way, man. And so we're driving out there. We were seeing, like, nice houses, stuff like that, and, like, like column, like, 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 look like the White House, man. And it was just totally cool. And then all of a sudden, we just hit this patch. There was a corn maze there, talking about coming, coming, like walk through the maze and hide out. And it was right next to a graveyard. And I'm like, I don't know if I want to do that. <laughs> then right next to a church, they had a tennis court in the back. And I'm like, okay, whatever works, you know. And uh, then we hit, you know, we we're coming down this way. And all of a sudden, you guys like own the whole block now, right? I mean, you guys are like growing, right? The block. And Paul and his beautiful bride got a chance to meet them. And, man, you guys are so blessed to have leadership like this that is obviously progressive. They're prophetic, forward-thinking, very personable. And I always say that, hey, man, when you have leadership that have the three Ps, progressive, prophetic, and personal, you thank God that you got leadership like that. And this is what I love to say, and I'm going to say this. Uh, God... When he wants to move in a region, proof that he wants to move in a region, his vote that he's going to move in a region is he sends you world-class leadership. And you have world-class leadership. And to be, if I, if I understand this, uh, you guys have been in this building or you've been in existence for four years? Been in existence. For this church to only be four years of age and to have this and to have this, that's an indication at year 10, like, you, you guys are going to run the city in Jesus' name. You know, it's like, I, uh, amen, you know. So real quick about me, just a little bit of something about me. I gave my life to Jesus Christ on the college campus. I was as lost as a goose in a thunderstorm when I got to college, okay. Grew up inner city Oakland. My, uh, my dad and mom met at a nightclub, and uh, I was the oops. 
And so I kind of pretty much grew up without a dad. And uh, when I was nine years of age, and this would mark my life, when I was nine years of age, my dad was murdered, and he was murdered by policemen. And I always want to stop and say this. I thank God for policemen, godly policemen. I thank God for law enforcement. I have friends in law enforcement, got great respect. They're laying down their, their, their uh, lives on the line. That is a very, uh, that's a difficult job. These particular police officers were not the kind that I am respecting and putting honor to. Uh, my dad had committed no crime. He was a chemical engineer for IBM, though he didn't live with us, and we didn't see that kind of uh, economic status of, of the amount of money he was making. But he's driving uh, back home uh, from a late night, doing some research and development in his lab. He headed up a research and development department for IBM. Uh, he sees the red cherry fire up on the uh, top of a police car as he's going down Stevens Creek Boulevard. Today, it's massive dealerships, car dealerships and whatnot. Then it was kind of some open field. Uh, this would have been in the 70s. They pull him over, and when the night was over, my dad was dead with three rounds emptied in his back, dead on arrival at San Jose Memorial Hospital. They proved in court it was racially motivated. So you imagine nine years of age, I'm coming back, and he didn't resist arrest. He didn't do you know, any of the things that would provoke it. He, he had been profiled. He had been targeted. So you know, you're a nine-year-old kid. You're growing up. And, and I'm thinking, you know, wh what's going on here? Like, like, why would anybody do that? I just had no concept of that. And my mom, to her credit, she raised me to never be racist or prejudiced, even though we didn't know the Lord. She just said it, it didn't matter what race they were. They were just bad people. And bad people do things, and they're bad people of every race or whatever. But what happened to me, I think, in that time is, is two things. Number one, I immediately probably, in retrospect, began to identify with an orphan spirit. An orphan spirit, you can have a dad and still have an orphan spirit. And an and orphan spirit, I believe, spawns so many different sins, promiscuity, drug addiction, loss of identity, because you're trying to find something to give you significance and to ease the pain. So that leads me into my whole high school years. I'm in a massive experimentation. I'm doing whatever. I'm at the parties. I'm whatever. I'm just trying to say Whatever it is, rescue me from the emptiness I feel in my heart. So there was awards monies given from the unlawful death. San Jose Police Department had to give certain monies to myself and my two stepsisters. At that time, it was like $60,000 total, so $20,000 to each of us. Today, it would be a multi-million dollar settlement. I could fund missions left and right and build wells in Africa. But then, justice was $20,000. But... Uh, it could be used for education, and so I chose to go to the University of Pacific, but this is God's providence, right? Because I had no idea. I picked UOP because they had a, a computer engineering department, and it was about hour 15 minutes from where I grew up, and I thought that's far enough away to be away from home, but close enough when I wanted to go home and get some of my grandmama's cooking, because my grandmama, could cook, she can make some serious biscuits, y'all, okay? I just want you to know that. <laughs> serious, Right? And so I'm there, and I want to make this point real abbreviated. I got into everything probably most kids do when they're in college. And I, again, I'm, I'm in a massive experimentation phase because I'm really trying to, I'm, I'm trying to escape from pain. I come back one night, and I am so, in my own words, my own way, I was so jacked up that I did this thing. And my grandmother at this stage in the game, she had passed. She had given her life to the Lord. She got delivered out of her entire adult life alcoholism. She went to a little small Pentecostal holiness storefront church. 
She walked forward, gave her life to Jesus Christ. She came home, broke all her alcohol bottles. Grandma didn't take 12 steps. Grandma just took one step to Jesus Christ. She got set free. And she said to me before she passed, she said, Grandbaby, promise me one thing. One day you're going to find out you cannot do this thing called life all on your own. Promise me you will call on the name of Jesus. And I'm like, yeah, 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 okay, whatever. I'm, I'm jacked up. And so I come back from this night. I'm in my studio apartment in college at the University of Pacific in Stockton, California. And I just, I'm so empty that I'm ready to check out. And I'm serious about it. That's not just like a light thing to say. I'm, I mean in my life. And it wasn't that I hated my life. It would have been such a tragedy to commit suicide because it wasn't that I hated myself. I don't know if I fit the typical profile. I had just run up hard, crashed the pavement of the meaninglessness of life. And the empty place in my heart was colliding to such an extent I just saw no reason to continue this charade called my life. So I just said what my grandma said. I said, God, if you're real, I want to experience you. And if you let me experience you, I'll give you everything. Right? Now notice that. You let me experience you, I'll give you everything. Now, I just want to do a little timeout commercial break here. I believe that there is going to be a massive number of people that are going to give their life to the Lord in North Carolina, in North America, come on somebody, I believe a record number of people are going to get saved. I love to tell people, do not be surprised if in one five-minute swoop in America, Lady Gaga, Little Wayne, Ellen DeGeneres, Bill Moyer, Ted Turner, all get saved. And I know some people could look at that, hear that, and think that's extreme. But the only reason why we would think that's extreme is we don't understand that we're talking about a God that could save a dude that was killing Christians, pour the presence of God on him, and he ends up writing just shy of half the New Testament. That would be Apostle Paul. I understand they're going to do a movie about that. I think that would be cool. But what if whatever it was, and what it was is that Apostle Paul had an encounter with God. The secret weaponry of the end times, if you read Daniel, you read Revelations, you understand. The secret weaponry is God showing up and showing off. And when he shows up in your dream, he shows up in your living room, he shows up at your workplace, in your car, he shows up right in front of you while you're going down the road. So here's what happens. I said, God, if you're real, I want to experience you. If you let me experience you, I'll give you everything. Pass out, right? I'm awakened. Notice what I said, awakened. 3 a.m. in the morning. God's favorite time to wake you up. 3 a.m. in the morning, right? What is it about God at 3 a.m. in the morning? We're going to get to heaven and find out. I wake up, and I just want to brace you. I just want to kind of give you a little cushion. The next thing I'm going to say could blow some folks away, but most of you, I don't think so. I'm awakened at 3 o'clock in the morning, and I look, and I see Jesus right there in my studio apartment in college. And I don't mean when I gave my life to Christ, nothing wrong with this, thoroughly valid. I don't mean that I felt a little bit of peace, I felt something lift off me, I kind of got some warm willies or, you know, goosebumps or whatever. I'm talking about I see Jesus like I see you. And proof that I did, and I'm dating myself now, you know what I'm saying, I'm chronologically setting a marker, right? Is it 30 years later I'm doing what I'm doing with a computer engineering degree that collected, collecting dust on a shelf that I never use because God so gripped me. He, he immediately put on my heart to win college students to the Lord. But I saw Jesus. People say, what did Jesus look like? And I, I try my best to describe. It's as if God took the sun out of the sky, put him right there in my studio apartment. I mean, when John, who wrote Revelation, says his face is like the sun shining, his eyes are like lightning, I had an encounter with God. And so people say, 
Uh, Sean, after that, did you ever backslide? Did you ever walk away from God? And, and like, no, <laughs> you know, I, I think when you meet God like that, he's so upstages anything that could detract you, distract you, seduce you, pull you away, that when you meet God like that, and I meant his love, I mean the love of God, I'm weeping, I'm bawling, and I hear the audible voice of God. Now again, that could throw some folks, maybe it doesn't. I hear the audible, he said three things to me, and I'll share one with you, well, two with you. One, he said to me, I've given you what you've asked. I now call upon you to give me what you said you would. So I knew what that meant. That meant total abandonment. I'm all in. Hashtag all in. I'm giving you everything, God. And second of all, interestingly enough, he says, I'll be a father to the fatherless. Didn't know that was in the Bible. But it had everything to do with me and my marking up to this point of having an orphan spirit growing up without a dad. My dad never lived in the house. I didn't even know I had a dad until I was five years of age. I'm Five, still thinking the stork dropped me off at this inner city ghetto house, right, apartment, right? That's what I believe, true. Yeah, I'm five years old, still thinking the stork, right? And then I met my dad, and then I'm seeing him mm, once a month, twice a month, and he's murdered, tragically, when I'm not, and I'm without a dad. So I had this whole thing on me. And so all of a sudden, immediately, man, when you encounter God and you recognize his love for you, he rescues you. You know, we talk about talking people off the ledge, the metaphor of someone that's standing over a ledge and they're going to jump to commit suicide. The Holy Spirit, man, loved me off the ledge, right? Knocked me back into my right mind. I couldn't help but tell people about Jesus. In my first 30 days of say, month, right? No exaggeration. I led 25 people to Christ. 25 people to Christ. Amen. It, and it wasn't even that I was that good at witnessing. It was that they were that shocked that I was saved. It's like, Sean, you saved? Okay, there must be a God. Sign me up. This is what it was like. But the other part was I, I couldn't shut up. You couldn't shut it up. I was so grateful for a God that would meet me that still, after all the stuff I did, you would still allow me to encounter you. And I'm here to tell you, do not think that God is through with America. Do not think that the only work left for God to do in America is judgment. Don't buy into that. Do not suck on the devil's bottle of despair. I'm tired of hearing that stuff, excuse me. I believe that the end times is not about the Antichrist, but if you read the Bible, the end times are going to be about the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus has a harvest in this nation. And there's a record number of people about to give their life to the Lord. I believe there'll be a third great awakening. I believe the greatest revival to ever hit this planet is about to hit this planet. I've written in a book, I believe there'll be a billion soul harvest. I don't doubt that there's going to be, you know, people say there's going to be judgment in the earth. And, and I think what they're saying is that there'll be tribulation, there'll be trying times that maybe if you want to say judgment, corrective judgment, I would agree with you. But I think you're in the wrong dispensation. You're in the wrong book, sir, ma'am, whoever. You're in the wrong book. We're still in the New Testament, in the New Covenant with the blood of the Lamb. And I just still believe that mercy will triumph over judgment. The Father's heart is to bring in a massive group. And the, in the book of Peter's in the Bible, it says, in the book of Peter, it says that as a farmer waits for the precious crop and the harvest so that Jesus is waiting for that harvest in the earth. And so if we didn't have any other scripture but that one, we know why isn't Jesus come back yet? Well, the Bible's clear. There's going to be a serious harvest. And you got to believe this. And I'll just throw this out there, and then we're going to open up the Bible. You have to believe that God is as good a finisher as he is an initiator. And if you begin this in the book of Acts, and you think about what the book of Acts church looked like, 
And if you don't know, there was Peter's shadow was healing folks. They were raising the dead within a like a two-week period, 8,000. He just counted the men. It was patriarchal. 8,000 men, so that would be some estimate. 20,000 people at the birth of the church and two weeks later. 20,000 people get saved in two weeks' time in an in ad, adverse geography and situation where they murdered Jesus. And if God began the church like that, do you think he's going to come back for a church that has less power than when he started it? That's a bad reflection on Jesus, right? The Bible says that the, the latter glory of the temple will be great in the former glory, which lets me know book of Acts wasn't even, which we say get back to the book of Acts, that was supposed to be ground zero for the church. We're not, we shouldn't be trying to get back to Acts. We should be trying to improve on Acts, build on Acts. And I believe that God is going to do this. And so... You could look at me and say, well, I don't know, Sean, are you living in the world I'm living in? I'm watching MSNBC. I'm reading USA Today. I got the, you know, I'm on the social media feed. I know what's going on. And, and this is what I tell you. The backdrop of chaos and crisis has always been the signature move of God. Y'all, you guys know Michael Jordan, he, the, the Jumpman logo. You know, he stick his tongue out and he's dunking. You know, that's, that's his signature move, right? God's signature move is to cause it to look like it's dead. Come on, i.e. the resurrection. To look like it's over, right? For the devil to begin to celebrate and throw his party. And in the midst of that, all of a sudden, light shines in darkness. God stages. He, he is, uh, you know what I'm saying? There are people in the drama, but like bad drama, like TNT go, we know drama, right? <laughs> but God is into divine drama and if God was into making movies instead of making history, his genre of movies would be called epics because God is writing an epic in the last days. And let me just say it this way. All revivals, and this is what Charles Finney said, America's perhaps some would say greatest revivalist. What is revival? Revivalist is simply, or revival is, I, simplest way of saying it, is the fire of God invading the affairs of men whereby the presence of God becomes conspicuous on you. That wherever you go, people say, you got God on you. A God-saturated people are a revived people. When revival hits the city, crime goes down. When revival hits the city, drugs go down. People are free. Addictions can't hold you back. Oppressions can't hold you down. Doesn't matter what happened to you 15, 20 years ago. You live in light of what Jesus has done in an instance of setting you free. And we need revival in this nation. It's the only thing that's going to save this nation. We're not going to make it without a divine intervention of God. So I'm saying a lot, but I've written a book on this, and it's called I Am Your Sign. No, it's not about astrology. It has everything to do with a question Jesus was asked about, show us a sign. And this is a book about revival. It's about moves of God. It's about the fire of God. Do not read this book if you want to stay the same. This book has nuggets in it, uh, fire. It has history in it. But it's not just about history. It's written to those who will make history. So we've got that out there. We've got another book, Prophetic Evangelism. We've got a two-DVD set. And the first one is how to fellowship with a person of the Holy Spirit. It's how to have a quiet time. You're never going to be any stronger than you are in your prayer time, your devotional time, your quiet time. First DVD, it was filmed at Jesus Culture and, and, and Bethel School of Ministry. And they use it in their uh, discipleship. It's sent. They send it all over the world. Uh, it's called... Uh, developing dynamic devotions. And the second one is discerning divine direction. It's how to hear the voice of God. Anybody ever struggle hearing the voice of God before? How many of you would like to hear the voice of God greater? Anybody like that? 
Okay, I want to give this away to somebody that wants to fellowship with the person of the Holy Spirit. Okay, in the back. And, and all the way back. I don't know if I should throw it. it it's kind of sharp. Okay, he's going to help me. All right, I will throw it. Great catch, man. Come on. And then uh, we've got these shirts back there, and it's called Bias Stripes. And it's got a little Greek thing, tetelestai, which means it is finished. But my son and my other son here, uh, they designed this, and they've done such a great job. Uh, I know my son, Brandon. Uh, I'm speaking of my biological son. I've got a kind of a spiritual son here. He's uh, led someone of the Lord uh, using this, and so it's been awesome. And so with that, let me just give a quick introduction. Jordan Gonzalez is a spiritual son of mine. I've known him, like, forever. I mean, forever. He was a little poo face back in the day. He and my son are best friends. He travels with me. Mighty man of God, a director of a third-year school of ministry. Jordan, if you stand up, everybody sees Jordan Gonzalez right here. Awesome. Love of my life. And, uh, and, and October 24th, I'm going to be getting married, right? I'm super excited about that. So my fiance, Krista, Krista, if you stand up, everybody see you. It's Krista Karen. She is an executive pastor at Expressions 58 with a guy named Sean Boltz is out there. And so uh, she is up here traveling with, so super excited. All right, if you got a Bible, I love this little place. I can put my iPad right here. That is the coolest thing. It fits, too. So if you have a Bible, go to Exodus 4. If not, uh, we will read it to you. Again, so glad you came out. Awesome. And uh, you can be verbal. If I say something you like, you can say amen. All right. Preach that. That's cool. You can, you can talk to me, and that's, that's awesome. In fact, I might even get so excited if you talk. You really get me going, right? Okay. <laughs> Exodus 4.1. That's awesome. See, there you go. There it is. Exodus 4.1. Then Moses answered and said, but suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say the Lord has not appeared to you. So the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? He said, A-Rod. No, no, no. That's a baseball player. For the, I was just messing with you, New York Yankees. No, he said, A-Rod. <laughs> and he said, cast it on the ground. So he cast it on the ground. And it became a serpent. And Moses fled from it. Then the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. And he reached out his hand and caught it, and it became a rod in his hands. That they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Verse 6, furthermore, the Lord said to him, now put your hand in your bosom. And he put his hand in his bosom. And when he took it out, behold, his, le his hand was leprous like snow. And he said, Put your hand in your bosom again. So he put his hand in his bosom again and drew it out. Bosom is like chest. You stuck inside your chest, inside your shirt, whatever. Drew it out of his bosom, and behold, it was restored like that of other flesh. He says, then it will be, if they do not believe you, nor heed the message of the first sign, that they may believe the message of the latter sign. I feel like the Lord has had several instances with me where he made some things completely clear to me. One of the things, and I'll just touch this, I'm not really here to talk about this per se, is about five years ago, the Lord spoke to my heart that we were to prepare that this was going to be America's greatest harvest season, that a record number of people were going to give their life to the Lord. The Lord began to speak to me. I began to, to hear and get these very clear impressions. I began to have dreams in the night that I know were of God. Not every dream you have is of God. Some dreams are two hot dogs for 99 cents at the local mini-mart, okay? And we don't know what happens when that red dye 23 hits them nitrates. It just is like, you know, 
right crazy. You get that mushroom hot pocket and the mushrooms go psychotropic or something, you know. That's not what we're talking about. And the Lord just began to speak to me about this massive, massive harvest. I recently have had a dealing, and I think it's along the lines that the Lord spoke to me about this year, and I know we're over halfway. I felt like the Lord says this year was going to be a year of upheavals and upgrades. And how many of you know we've lived to see the upheavals? We've seen it, whether you're speaking of wars and situations in the Middle East, whether you're talking about uh, ISIS, whether you're talking about the recent U.S. Supreme Court decision, whether you're talking about uh, Bruce Jenner, okay? I mean, there's been some upheavals in the land. There's been things that have happened. North Korea, Kim Jong-un, whatever, the resurgence of Russia as a power, nuclear, you know, the arms race is starting back up again. The economy is not recovered to the extent that we like, though the price of gas is pretty nice for Labor Day. I'll, I'll take the price of gas. I just wish we could pay under $2 like some of you are. But I feel like the upheavals in America are scaring the people of God too much that we think that the upheavals were meant for us. And I don't believe the upheavals. Are, if I can say something about upheavals and upgrades, first of all, I believe the upheavals is about this. God is upheaving. I think that's a word. If not, I just made it up. He is upheaving everything he's not in. So if something is in the process of upheaval, it's proof that he's not in it, or at least not in it to the extent he needs to be in it. But he says, not only will this be a season of upgrade, uh, excuse me, upheavals, that means stuff is going to look like it's not uh, steady, it's not safe, you feel kind of insecure, you kind of, things are up in the air, situation here, situation is there. Upheavals are about finding out your foundation. Upheavals are about discovering that you need Jesus in a way that maybe you were leaning on your own strengths and your own understandings, and all of a sudden you discover, no, we need Jesus. Anybody feel a little upheaval in their life? In 2015, everybody just wave. All right, only, oh yeah, no, okay, now we're getting everybody. But the other part is upgrades. You have an iPhone, right? You got an Android app, whatever phone. On my iPhone, on the little app store, there's a little number that begins to accumulate to let me know I got upgrades. And I'm a little, I think the term is OCD, and what I mean by OCD is that I have to click on all my upgrades. And, and if you have not clicked on your upgrades, Chris can tell you, it's, I'll get your phone and click on your upgrades for you. That's my OCD taking place. I want you to have, why? Because upgrades fix bugs, right? They add new features. It's so important. But like the Lord says, in the season of upheavals, that my people have upgrades they've not clicked on. That God has upgrades for you, and I believe that much of the warfare of the enemy is to keep you from getting alone with God, to keep you from getting in the Word, to keep you from having meaningful encounters with God, because our upgrades are going to take place when everything else is out of the way, the distractions are removed, and we're mano a mano with Holy Spirit. It's those moments and times that you click on your upgrades, and we have accumulating number of upgrades. We're complaining about our situations, our personal crisis, what's going on in America, and God is saying, you got upgrades available. You're not, some of us are running on our 2005 Christian platform. You know what I'm saying? Like, well, you've not upgraded so long. You've gone 10 years, and man, it's a whole other program now. Your app is completely revolutionized if you'll click on it. And I think this season is about discovering you've got upgrades. Now, hold that thought, and let me say this, and I think this is so important. God has given upheavals to everything he's not in and upgrades to everything that he is. Now, in this season, 
the devil wants the American church in what I would call recovery. You know how when a, a drug addict is coming out, they're in recovery program or whatever. The, the devil wants the American church into recovery. God wants the American church into discovery. You ever ask questions or have thoughts that you kind of wonder if they even make sense? Okay, I was thinking about some of them. Here are some questions that are silly or don't make sense of thoughts. Why is there an expiration date on sour cream? It's already sour. Okay, this is his thoughts from Sean. Why do TV stations report power outages? Because if you don't have no power, your TV isn't on and the report isn't going to do you any good. See, some of you just got that. At first, it went, went right over you and like, oh, yeah, all right. Okay, since a fool and his money are soon parted, how did a fool and his money get together in the first place? Okay, that's just a thought, right? This is where my slight anti-cat bias will come out. Please do not boo me. If you throw it, I wouldn't do this, but if you throw a cat out of a car window, does it become cat litter? Okay, that's just some thoughts, all right? Just some thoughts. Wouldn't do it. Wouldn't do it. Wouldn't do it. The PETA, PETA folks in California would not like that, okay? <laughs> silly questions. Somebody say silly questions. God seemed to ask Moses a silly question one day. He asked him, what is in your hand? Now think about it. What was in his hand was not a small object that you could cover and you could surround it like it was a little tiny pinch, a pendant or something like that you can hide. He had a rod in his hand. And God is omniscient, meaning that he knows all things. Doesn't that seem like a silly question to ask a man who has a big old stick in his hand, what is in your hand? God, you know anyone that would ever see Moses could see what is in his hand. You're talking about silly questions. This seemed like a silly question, but the question wasn't about information. The question was about revelation. Moses, do you know what you have in your hand? Do you know what you possess? Do you know that this rod, this isn't? a rod. It is a significant rod. And in the midst of it, he says, what is in your hand? And if I were to say something that I feel like is very important, there's a tendency for believers in times of crisis to underestimate what they have. And when I begin to sense that there's a trepidation rising in the church, there's a nervousness, there's this uneasiness, I feel like the Lord is wanting to come back, and this is what this morning and our time left is about, that the Lord wants to encourage you that he's given you something that is meant to be activated in this season. You guys still with me, right? Okay, so here is Moses, and he says, what is in your hand? Now, here is what I love. What is in your hand as long as it remains uh, what? What, what I mean, as long as the what, no, let me re-say that. What is in your hand, as long as it remains where it is, that would be in your hand, it never becomes what it needs to become, what it needs to manifest. The what that is in your hand, as long as it remains where it is, it is not activated and released because what you have, and this is the, the title of my talk, God is releasing a new culture of transformation in the church. That instead of the world acting on the church, the church is meant to be acting on the world. Let me say it another times. The end times isn't happening to you as a believer. As a believer, you're happening to the end times. You are meant to be 
what is going to bring change in this community. You have to understand what's in your hand. Now, the best way I can describe it is this. Years ago, I would go do an outreach at Monter Montclair State University. It's in upstate New Jersey. And I've, I've preached on college campuses and still do. And I noticed in California, the college student is more of a party animal that wants to have maybe a couple little arguments and talk, but they basically are too busy to get back to their party and their pub, their bar, wherever they want to go to stick with you. But East Coast, at least New England area, New York area, they want to sit and debate. They're very intellectual. So I go to do this outreach, right? So we get this classroom, Montclair State University. I'm invited in. And so this Christian group invites me in and they do some worship, but they weren't as anointed as you guys were. I mean, it was like Christian karaoke, okay? I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to be critical, but uh, worship was going over like a pregnant pole vaulter, okay? It means it, it wasn't, <laughs> wasn't going over very well is what I'm trying to communicate to you. And so they're, they're worshiping, and, and, and I'm feeling like we're losing altitude. You ever had them dreams where you're like flying, but you're like losing altitude? I feel like we're losing altitude. And all these college students, they're skeptical, right? I told you about that. They're skeptical. So they're not with, like you're with me this morning. I feel atmosphere. This is a great place. There it wasn't the case. And all of a sudden, a professor walks in with about 20 students, and they sit down, and the atmosphere went more south. And I could begin to tell. I mean, you didn't have to be like a serious, intuitive dude to know. This guy brought his class as skeptics. They're supposed to take notes, and they were. They're supposed to take notes, and they're going to go back to their class and blast everything this Christian minister is saying. And so I don't have a good atmosphere. And so I'm standing there in the worship team. They're doing their thing. It's not going over very well. I told you the whole deal. And so I get up, and I'm starting to talk. And as I'm starting to talk, I don't know if you've ever Paul spoke, and it felt like the words went out of your mouth. and It just, it just didn't seem like it was going over very well. And all of a sudden, in that moment, I felt the devil just lying to me, like, just shut it down. Nobody here wants to hear what you have to say. Your little Christian stuff, keep it to yourself. Man, it's not going to change anybody. It didn't really change you, you know. And all of a sudden, the devil will just start lying. And in this moment, I'm feeling total confusion, no atmosphere, and everything is saying shut down. And all of a sudden, in the midst of this, right, in the midst of this, I hear the Spirit of the Lord say, I want you to call up the top worst seven back cases in terms of back affliction, scoliosis, slip disc, whatever, and tell them I'm going to heal them all, whoever would come up. And I'm like, God, do you know the atmosphere we got here? You imagine telling God who moved on the earth when it's complete chaos. When you got the creation award on your resume, I don't think you're too concerned about a couple skeptics taking notes in a meeting. And so I'm like, you know what, I could take a chance. I mean, the worst thing I could do is lose them. But then I thought, I wouldn't lose them. I don't even have them. I got nothing to lose. Let's go for it. So I closed my little notes and I said, hey, I just feel like I'm supposed to do something. The top seven people that have the absolute worst back pain, first seven people get up here will get healed. And if they don't get healed, you don't have to listen to me. Now, I'm on a secular university. We had not as good a worship as I would have liked. We got skepticism all over the room, and all of a sudden, I'm saying that if God doesn't heal all seven folks, I'm not picking them out, you come. And if you don't get healed, the, the entire crowd doesn't have to listen to me. And I'm thinking, well, the truth be told, they're not listening to me anyway, so might as well go for it, right? I believe it's those moments where we have something in our hand, and we realize 
that the task in front of us, God has prepared us for because he's put something in our hand that if we will let it loose, this is what he said. God said to Moses, what's in your hand? He said, a rod. He said, throw it down, right? That's activated. And when he threw the rod down, we read it, the rod became a serpent. Moses wasn't expecting it because he begins to run, right? A dude who's supposed to bring deliverance to a couple million people is running from a stray reptile in the middle of the desert. Angels in heaven going, God, are you sure this is the dude to get this? Dang, man, he don't look too brave to me. Come on, crocodile hunter would have handled this. And then God, when he can get his man to quit running, he says, take the serpent by the tail. Anybody handle snakes, which I'm not one of them, you grab a serpent by the head so he can't whip around and bite you. God is telling the man of God, I want you to take the serpent by the tail as if I want you to defy the serpent's bite. I want you to put yourself at such risk. And what this situation was really about was when the rod left his hand, the first thing that you're exposed to is warfare. When God is calling you to activate giftings that he's placed inside of you, when he's asking you to step across the street and witness to someone, share your faith, pray for the sick, believe in a way you've never believed for, do not be surprised if the first time you do it, the first thing you're exposed to is warfare. What does a serpent represent in the Bible? The devil, warfare. The moment he left his hand, like when God says, throw it down, like it's going to become a Maserati. It's going to become, you know, that day a nice chariot. It's going to become food. It's going to become, no, he hits the ground. It's a snake. But watch this. God is sending Moses into Egypt to let his people free and to challenge Pharaoh, the then known war power. They worshiped reptiles. They worshiped snakes. And God was saying, what has been in your hand all along is the authority to conquer serpents. You will change atmosphere if I can get you to let what I put inside of you go. If you'll throw it down, like we used to say in the hood, like, oh, man, it's time to throw down. That means we're going to fight, right? I feel like God is saying it's time for the American church to throw down. It's time for us to quit the pity party, quit playing the role of the victim, quit taking one knee. You know, in football, when you're just going to run out the clock, you take a knee. Now, we need to hashtag hit our knees in prayer, but it's not time to take a knee in America. It is the time for the church to shine, but God's got to get you to get the rod out of your hand. Let me say this. There's no telling what you may hold in your hand right now. There's no telling what potential was in the American church today because we're holding our rod so gripped and so tight in such fear, we don't know what we possess. So here I am. I'm in front of Montclair. I said, give me, and sure enough, seven students come up. And I'm like, this is either God or I'll be selling Amway for a living because I would not be in ministry. The word will get out. This dude made a false promise. So he prayed for the first person. I go, how do you feel? I feel better. Pray for the second person. By the time we get into person three, I don't know, it just happened to occur like this. It was like the back conditions were getting worse. The first one, a little stiff, a little this, sore, pulled a muscle in my back. All of a sudden, we're getting towards other stuff. And also, we're getting towards guys that I could tell they didn't know Jesus. Like, first couple up there, they were Christians. Okay, you're with this. By the time we get to the last uh, sixth person, it was a girl, she had scoliosis. And she was looking back at the teacher. She came with the class, prayed for her, and I said, okay, just bend over and let it. And she bent over, and before she had like a little, like, like that, her back is straight. She's starting to cry. 
And I'm like, yes, God, this is good, six for six. But now we're at the worst dude, the most skeptical dude. He's looking at me like, I dare you to heal me, you know, God. Like, and he had a bulging disc, and he was in a lot of pain. And, and so this is crazy. I felt like the Holy Spirit said, I want you to hit him on his shoulder and tell him to bend over, which that was the part that would, his, his slip disc would all of a sudden get, get pushed out because of the pressure. I'm, I'm not, I've not even prayed for him. I felt like the Lord said, hit him. I mean, not like hit him like that. Even though there was a thought in that, like, okay, we won't know if he's healed if I knock him out. So I hit him in his back, and I said, bend over. Not quite like that, but, you know, I, I had to startle him. And, and it was cool because he got out of his head for a moment. He just listened to me. And he bent over, and then he bent over again, and then he jumped up and down. And he's looking back at the teacher and looking like, I don't want to have to say what I'm going to say, but I don't feel any pain. And all of a sudden, man, you could hear a, a gasp. Come on, come on, somebody. Yes, you could hear a gasp in the room. So I said, right now, Jesus is here. The same Jesus that healed these people is ready to heal your heart. Right now, if you want to give your life to Jesus Christ, come forward. We had 20-some-odd students come forward, many of them from the professor's class. He's giving me the stank eye, like from inner city. That, that means they're mad at you when they give you the stank eye. He's looking at me like, how dare you? He brought, and I'm thinking, God, you set this up. You gave me the absolute worst atmosphere. You put, man, the worst professor probably on the school in terms of anti-Christian sentiment to bring a class to humiliate and embarrass them. Why? Because you wanted to save those students and to get a sign. And what happened was when the rod leaves your hands, the miracle leaves the kingdom. Miracles are released when rods can leave our hand. Now, here is the thing that I want to share with you and a couple other thoughts, and we're going to be done here. When I'm facing opposition and oppression, could it be that the Lord is just doing that to set it up for a miracle? Let me share with you a couple quick things, and we're going to be done in this first service, but this is a thought I had. Uh, Luke 13, 6 through 9 in the New Living Translation said, Jesus told a story a man planted a fig tree in the garden and came again and again to see if there was any fruit on it. But he was always disappointed. Finally, he said to the gardener, I've waited three years and there hasn't been a single fig. Cut it down. It's just taking up space in the garden. The gardener, we're in Luke uh, 13, 6 through 9. The gardener answered and said, sir, give it one more chance. Leave it another year and I'll give special attention and plenty of fertilizer. If we get figs next year, uh, uh, fine. If not, you can cut it down. So Jesus said he planted a fig tree. It wasn't producing. And so what the, 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 the guy who was attending to the tree did, he said, give it a little more time, another year. I'll give special attention. I'll put plenty of fertilizer around it. And if not, you can cut it down. So plenty of fertilizer was the difference of now a fig tree that wasn't producing figs. We're going to get plenty of fertilizer because the thought is in a year we're going to have the figs. So let me say something. Here's the principle. We're almost done. Right? And Phil, get ready. God uses poop to bring the fruit. <laughs> Isn't that what the story's all about? We didn't see no figs. We're going to put plenty of fertilizer around it because we believe that's going to have fruit. I think in America, now it is a play on, on words. I think America, allow me to say it, and, I, and I, you're going to have to bear with me. It does, it's not going to sound like the Christian thing to say, but it is. It's a biblical principle. 
God is allowing plenty of poop to bring out some fruit in the kingdom of God. The plenty of poop doesn't mean it's just a stinky mess. The plenty of poop means there's going to be fruit at the end of the day. That he says, I put plenty of fertilizer. And let me say this. Maybe we need to redefine those times when we feel like we're surrounded by a lot of mess and it stinks and it's poopy. Moses, you're in the midst of a wilderness. You're being told that you got to go before Pharaoh. And, and he's thinking, okay, God, what are you going to give me? Man, you're going to give me nuclear weaponry that has not been uh, pioneered and discovered yet. No, I'm going to send you in with a stick. And Moses think, yeah, I'm going to beat the dude over the head. You better let God's people go. I'm going to hit you in the head with this stick. This seemed like a mess. But God uses maybe the evidence that there's going to come great fruit is that there's a lot of poop around the place. I just want you to think about that for a second. No Bible story ever makes sense. I was thinking about this in the drive. No Bible story ever makes sense until God gets on the scene. So here is the deal. We're closing. Moses has a stick. As he's going with this stick, we knew that when he threw it down, it became a serpent. God told him to take it by the tail in order to defy a snake. Snake, you grab by the tail, it whips around, bites you. God's saying, defy the snake. He defied it. In other words, I want you to act like you're more than a conqueror. He grabs a serpent by the tail, becomes a rod, but not any rod, because when he points his stick, waters become blood, hail comes out of the sky, frogs come out of the sea. This isn't just any stick, right? And it lets me know something. Conquered serpents becomes rods of authority in your hands. Those battles you're facing, you get the victory. It becomes new authority in your life. So God allows poop to bring the fruit. He allows you to have serpents thrown in your path and then tells you to defy serpent, defy human convention and wisdom. Why? Because they'll become rods of authority. Now you're ready to take on and be in the midst of Pharaoh's court. So he goes to Pharaoh's court. Now, I got all these other ideas of stuff I could tell you, but I do want to say this. Pharaoh's court represents the enemy's home field. And it does nothing to throw on your rod if at the end of the day you don't stand for Christ in the marketplace. You don't stand for Christ at your school, at the water cooler, in your neighborhood. It's cool that we can shout amen and be excited about God in a church. But the thing is, the church has never been about a building. The church is about where Jesus is housed. He lives in you. And it's time for us to take church to people. So here's what it comes down to. Moses stands there, and they do this great in the old classic Ten Commandments. Anybody seen that? I was recently at Universal Studios, and I remember they did that thing. Man, how many of you ever seen, right, Ten Commandments? How many of you read the book of Exodus? Come on, how many of you ever read, seen Veggie Tales? Come on. It, we, somehow you're familiar with the story. Moses says, Pharaoh, let God's people go. And Pharaoh said, why should I listen to you and who is your God? It's always an issue of credibility gaps and credentials. And that's why God is giving you the rod. It's, it's the anointing. It is the unactivated, undemonstrated dimension of the kingdom that God has put inside of you. And all of a sudden, Moses is standing there and going, okay, God, this would be a good chance to do your thing. He throws it on the ground and his rod becomes a serpent. And maybe, I'm thinking about Moses, I'm thinking, oh, this is going to do it now, dude. They ain't ready for this. He's about to give up God's people. But Pharaoh had Egyptian magicians. In the book of Timothy, they're referred to as Janus and Jambres. And the Bible says they did a stick to trick. The devil can't, cannot create, so I don't believe that they did what God did. 
I believe that, and some scholars believe that they could hypnotize snakes and kind of hit them on the head and they would reactivate them, but they'd be stiff and look like it was a stick. And so these Egyptian magicians, they weren't creative, but they did some sort of sleight of hand. And now it looks like a standoff. Moses is a serpent on the ground. They got at least two because there's two magicians, maybe more. So here is where we're at. Sometimes in life, you activate, but the enemy throws something down in your path and it looks like a standoff with one exception. Keep looking on the ground. Keep looking on the ground. Because what happens is, and I love this, and they did this in, I think it was uh, Prince of Egypt, this animated movie that I love the way they did it. Moses' serpent came and swallowed up both of their serpents. And then Moses grabs it and he lifts it up. And it's indicative of something. One atmosphere can swallow up another. We will activate a culture of transformation. It has the ability to swallow up no matter where you're at, no matter what has been stacked against you, no matter what the devil's thrown on your path. If you will just wait long enough, what God has put in you will swallow up what has come against you. If he would have pulled his serpent off too quick and turned and hightailed it out of the Pharaoh's court being afraid, he would have never saw the miracle. And some miracles take time to evolve. And here's what I'm saying. There's a miracle in America right now. Leave your serpent on the ground. It's another way of saying what you've activated and the giftings you bring don't run away from where God has placed you. It's all about to turn around. You know the rest of the story. I don't even need to tell you. Moses wins with a stick. And the then known war power is humbled. Pharaoh's armies drown and God gives birth to a nation. Would it be that God would give birth to North America, a nation of redeemed people, because some Moses' male and female threw their rod down once again. I believe this miracle is a miracle that will be replayed out. I believe we're going to activate something. You got poop in your life, it's only about getting more fruit. You got serpents in your path, it's only about taking them up and getting new rods of authority. The message and moral of the story is time to activate because God is going to birth something. Bow your heads. Jesus, we thank you, Father. I thank you for your presence. I thank you, God, for your goodness. And I just believe that all over this place, the Spirit of the Lord is breathing. Lord, I believe that that rod, as Moses' serpent swallowed up the competing serpents of the day, I believe that so does the gospel swallow up all competing philosophies. The gospel has the power to swallow up heartache and despair, addiction and bondage, that the gospel can swallow up the things that have previously swallowed us up, that you come to Christ. And this was the, the miracle of Hezekiah, heads bowed and eyes closed, that he told of people who are in captivity to come to church, essentially. Come celebrate the Passover. And what he presumed is what is the understanding of the gospel. He didn't go to the captives, captors, and ask for permission to let the captives go to come to church to worship God. He essentially saying, you come to God, your captors will let you go. This is what I'm saying to you. You come to Christ, the bondage, the addiction, the heartache, in the, in the life message of your speaker, the suicide, it will let you go. You come to Christ. Whatever has held you back must let you go because you have permission to come to the one who has authority. And that bondage, that addiction, that demonic power, that voice recognizes the voice that put it in existence. You come to Christ and your captors will let you go. If you're here right now, you're not right with God. You don't know if you were, were to die. The Bible says everything born of God overcomes the world, which is another way of saying you need something outside of this world, in your world, to overcome the world. And God says, 
that if you're born of God, everything that God produces, the fruit that he brings has an overcoming element. And in this world that we live in, you're one of two things. You're either overcoming or the overcome. And if you're tired of being the overcome and you want to be the overcoming, the secret is, is no secret at all. It's come to Christ. You see, Jesus doesn't want to take away, as a friend of mine would say, he doesn't want to take away your pain, excuse me, your fun. He wants to take away your pain. And what will it cost you? Everything. You got to repent. Repent is a great word, though. Repent cancels the right of the oppressor to sit on you. Repent. Re to do again. Pent as in top. House. Penthouse. Re. Repent is an ability to get back to the top again. In the garden, Adam and Eve were at the top before man fell. Repentance is a way to get back to the garden. It's a way to get back to a place of reigning in life. It's a way of knowing. And yes, you get heaven. Yes, you get the peace that passes all understanding. Yes, you get joy, inexpressible joy the Bible talks about. But in addition to that, the greatest gifting of Christianity is you get Jesus himself. You get a supernatural big brother that will walk with you. We promise you'll never leave you nor forsake. Friends may walk out, but what I noticed when friends walked out was when God walks in. If you're here right now, you say, Sean, I'm not right with God. I don't know if I were to die where I'd go. I need Jesus. I need to give my life to the Lord. I need to come back to Christ. If that's you, I want to pray with you. So here's what I want you to do. If you're saying, Sean, I need to give my life to Christ. I need to come back to the Lord. If that's you, wherever you're at right now, do not hesitate. Because all hesitation does is let the devil think he can keep messing up your life, causing you to hurt that much longer. You can end this thing. And Jesus is coming in. And when he comes, he brings a kingdom. He brings joy. He brings peace. He brings love like you've never been loved before. If you're here right now, you say, Sean, I want to give my life to Christ. I'm tired of being made to hurt. I want this life changed. I want to be transformed. I want to feel new from the inside out. I'm ready to turn to Christ. Or one time I prayed a prayer, but I've walked away from God. I don't mean walked away. I don't mean you had a bad week this week. You walked away from God like the prodigal. You need to come back. If that's you, say, Sean, I need to give my life to the Lord. I need to come back to Christ. If that's you, wherever you're at right now, slip your hand up right now. Just slip it up wherever you're at. And say, Sean, pray with me. Yes, God bless you. Anybody else, slip the hand up. And you can just wave at me, but let me know. Let God know. Yes. Anybody else, say, hey, I need to come to Christ. I need to give my life to the Lord. I want to surrender. Yeah. Amen. Couple. Couple three. Yes. Anybody else? Yeah. Anybody else? Okay, let's pray. Let's pray together right now. Say this with me. Say, Lord Jesus. Come on, everybody say with me. Lord Jesus, I confess you. Lord of my life I believe in my heart God raised you from the dead I thank you Jesus for dying for me for loving me and I repent I turn to you and I thank you Jesus that you love me you're forgiving me and I declare today I am free I am delivered I am loved I'm a child of God and I got victory over the enemy in Jesus' name.